Okay, Nehemiah chapter 9, and this morning we're going to be starting in verse 18. Verse 18. Let's, uh, let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you for your word and for the opportunity to study. And in this particular passage to learn so much about your faithfulness. In spite of our failures and our disobedience and our rebellion, you are uh, always faithful. You are always, uh, um, as it says in the Psalms, your loving kindness is everlasting. Lord, we thank you for that. And we just pray as we study this morning that we'll appreciate that more and more and see the depths of your faithfulness. We just pray you'll bless our time now in Christ's name. Amen. I think to get our context... I'm debating about how much to read, but uh, it's fairly easy reading without a lot of names, so I thought, let's start at verse 9, and we'll read through verse 25, so that gives us our background. And you saw the affliction of our fathers in Egypt, and you heard their cry by the Red Sea. Then you performed signs and wonders against Pharaoh, against all his servants, and all the people of his land, for you knew that they acted arrogantly toward them, and made a name for yourself as it is in this day. And you divided the sea before them, and they and that they went through the midst of the sea and on dry land, and their persecutors you threw into the deep as a stone into the mighty waters. You led them with a pillar of cloud by day and with a pillar of fire by night to illuminate the way they should go. Then let us come down on Mount Sinai and to speak with them from heaven. Let us give to them just ordinances and true laws, good statutes and commandments. So you may know to them your holy Sabbath, and lay down for them the commandments and statutes and law, through your servant Moses. You provided bread from heaven for them from their hunger. You brought forth water from the rock for them with their first thirst. And you told them to enter in order to possess the land which you swore to give them. But they and our fathers accepted proudly, hardened their necks, and did not heed their commandments. They refused to listen and did not remember your wonders you performed among them. They became stiff necked and appointed a leader to return to slavery in Egypt. But you are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in faithful love, and you did not abandon them. Even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal, and said, This is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. You and your great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not lead them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light them the way in which they were to go. You gave your good spirit to instruct him. Your manna you did not withhold from your mouth. And you gave them water for the thirst. Forty years you sustained them in the wilderness. They lacked nothing. Their clothes did not wear out, and their feet did not swell. You gave them kingdoms and people, and established boundaries for them. They took possession of the land of King Zion of Heshbon, and of the land of King Og of Bashan. And I just make their sons numerous as the stars of heaven, and I just bring them into the land which thou hast told their fathers to enter and possess. 
So their sons entered and possessed the land, and you've subdued them before the inhabitants of the land of Canaan. And you gave them into their hands as they came to their people of the land to do with them as they desired. They captured fortified cities and fertile land. They took possession of houses full of rare fruit things. Human citrus, vineyards, olive groves, fruit trees in abundance. So they ate, were filled, and grew fat, and revealed in your, and reveled in your great goodness. Okay. So, uh, what we saw last time is uh, the Levites had been uh, teaching the Israelites uh, God's word. And there were two main results. One was praise and worship of God. The other was his personal contrition, uh, national repentance, personal repentance for sins. Um, and so they began as a, a this psalm uh, of formal worship, and it also includes the repentance and confession. And that's where we're at now, is in this, this psalm. And it began in, in verse 5 in, in the chapter, and, and it started by you know, extolling God as the creator. God is the great creator. And then it, it transitioned into God's covenant with his people. First we see Abram being called and his name changed to Abraham and then we see the promise of the land that was passed on from Abraham down to uh, Jacob or Israel and then we see uh, uh, God's faithfulness to this covenant um, it starts in, in the psalm with him removing them from Egypt taking them out of bond slave, slavery in Egypt and then on the way out, he provides food and water and protection and guidance and good and just laws. These are all blessings that God gives to them. But then we saw in verse 16 that the Jews forsook their side of the covenant. They became stubborn and they disobeyed God. Um, they refused to trust him. Because God brought, God brought them up to the entrance of the land that he had promised them. And he told them, go in. And they basically said, God, we don't trust you. You're not going to get us in. You can't do it. And so they stopped and rebelled at the entrance to the land. But we see uh, God still being faithful to them. We saw at the end of verse 17, um, you know, you are a God of forgiveness, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. Now just not forsake them, despite that disobedience. Now, this refusal to go into the land was not the only thing they did. So we go on this morning, we're starting at verse 18. It says, even when they made for themselves a calf of molten metal and said, this is your God who brought you up from Egypt and committed great blasphemies. So, you know, the first two words here, even when, you know, how bad is it going to get, you know, for, for God to forsake his people? You know, we can ask that question is, how badly do you need to sin to lose your salvation? It's not going to happen. 
You can't sin bad enough to lose. You know, our salvation depends on God. And in the same way, the Jews were um, chosen by God as his people, and that didn't depend on them. It depended on God. Um, and you look at uh, the, the sins that they could have committed under the, the law, and about the worst thing they could do is idolatry, which is a direct <laughs> abandonment and, uh, and uh, rejection of God himself. And that's what they did. It says God still did not forsake them. He was still absolutely faithful. And so while Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving the law and receiving all the instructions for building the tabernacle and, and all the uh, furniture that goes in it and the robes of the priests and the, you know how to do all the um, sacrifices and things, the people went to Aaron and said, Make, make us an idol. So let's turn back and look at that. Let's look at Exodus chapter 32. <clears throat> Exodus chapter 32. Would someone like to read verses 1 through 4 for us here? Now when the people saw that Moses delayed him, to come down from the mountain, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, let us make a God who will go with you before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Israel, we do not know what has become of him. Aaron said to them, Tear off the gold rings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the gold rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it into a graving with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Okay, so Aaron fashions this idol out of gold. Later when Moses comes down and asks him what happened, do you remember what Aaron says? He, he says, I threw the gold into the furnace and out comes this calf. <laughs> Now, that's not what it says here. He says, he fashioned it. He made it. So he was a lot guiltier than he was willing to admit. Um, but what do they say about this idol? They say, this is the God who brought you out of Egypt. You know, we saw earlier in, in the psalm that we're reading is, you know, God made a name for himself by doing this. You know, this is the great God who took a, one nation out of another nation he destroyed the most powerful nation on earth at the time. And now they're saying, oh, it's this idol has done it. So this is the blasphemy to attribute to this golden idol the works of God. I just can't imagine Aaron going on with it. I mean, that's, I just, he's, he's seen the power of God. He's, he was in the room. Yes. You know, I just, it just blows me away. That, you know, he was there facing Pharaoh with Moses. And it's like, and yet he's... I, don't know. It, I mean, yes. it's a warning that, you know, we really need to be vigilant in, right. in right. remembering and attributing to God what's due. And, mm -hmm. yeah. So I think this is one of those places where, where God tests Moses by saying, you know, Moses, why don't you just get away from these people? I'll destroy them and make you into a nation. And, this was a test for Moses. Moses said, no, no, you promised. You said, this is your people. 
you know, the, the nations will say, well, God took them out of the land and destroyed them because he couldn't fulfill his promise. I've always so. thought that, you know, Moses' understanding of God displaying his glory to the world right. is really something to, for us to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Because he realizes, you know, you made a name for yourself. This is going to be really ugly. Yeah. If, you know, uh-huh. if um, this plays out, you know. So, I mean, like you said, it's a test from God. Right. It's really, yes. It's really something to contemplate for our lives. Yeah, Moses' argument was basically to God: God, if you do that, it won't glorify you. You know. Protect your glory. You know, do what do what you said you would do. So, you know, and you'd think God would destroy them at this point. You know, I think <laughs> sometimes I think, well, what would I do if I was God? Well, <laughs> not what God actually did. So that's where sometimes we can compare our. You know, have we achieved a godly character yet? No, because I would have done something differently than God actually did. So. God continues to care for them. So let's look at verses 19 through 21, and now we will see the continued care. Thou in thy great compassion did not forsake them in the wilderness. The pillar of cloud did not leave them by day to guide them on their way, nor the pillar of fire by night to light for them the way in which they were to go. And thou dost give thy good spirit to instruct them. Thy manna thou dost not withhold from their mouth, and thou dost give them water for their thirst. So we, we still have the pillar of cloud and fire guiding them and protecting them. Um, here we see the Holy Spirit instructing them. You know, we see that, you know, throughout the Old Testament, we see the mention of God's Son. We see the mention of His Spirit. You know, and the Jews were fiercely monotheistic. You know, there is but one God, you know, and they... But at the same time, we see all these allusions to the Trinity throughout the Old Testament. Well, let's go back in Numbers chapter 11, and we will see the, uh, the Spirit active, at least on the leaders. Moses was instructed to bring 70 of the leaders of Israel to help him guide the people. So let's go to Numbers chapter 11. And read verse 17 and then also 26 to 29. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. Say to the people, 26 through 29. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other, Medad. And the Spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered, but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Okay, so here we see the spirit comes down and 
basically imparts a gift of leadership to these men because they were going to share the leadership with Moses. And uh, we have the two who, the two who disobeyed. What happened to them? They got the spirit too. Now they didn't go out like they were supposed to, but they God still gave them the spirit on them. And it gives Moses an opportunity here to say he wishes that the Lord would put his spirit on all the people. Now he didn't at that time, and that's one of the differences between that age and the church age, where we all are given the spirit. So let's turn also to Isaiah chapter 63. Interesting, the little glimpse of mentoring there between Moses and And Joshua. Yeah, he does some teaching. It's a teaching opportunity. Okay, Isaiah chapter 63. Someone like to read verses 10 and 11. Yet they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. So he turned and became their enemy, and he himself fought against them. Then his people recalled the days of old, the days of Moses and his people. Where is he who brought them up up out of the sea with with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who sat his Holy Spirit among them? Okay. That's, that's good enough, yeah. Where is he who put his Holy Spirit in the midst of them? So we have the Holy Spirit coming down on not all of them, but on select people for specific purposes. Um, now it does talk here in verse 10 about they grieved his Holy Spirit. We're told in Ephesians 4.30 not to grieve the Spirit. So we see some of the same relationship between uh, those who had the Spirit uh, in those days versus us in this age where we have the Spirit and can grieve him uh, by our disobedience. Okay, back to Nehemiah 9. Um, it also says that uh, the Holy Spirit was given not, you know, we, we looked at an example of giving them leadership, but here it says to instruct them. That the Holy Spirit came to be their teacher or their instructor. So let's, let's look at John chapter 14. Someone like to read verse 26 for us. So we see that same ministry here in the church age. Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit being sent to instruct us, to teach us. So, um, you know, it, it means that the Spirit is working in our hearts, in our minds, to help us understand God better. You know, we can read the words, but they don't necessarily make sense. It's the Holy Spirit who converts those into true understanding in our hearts. So God gives them the Spirit. Now this is after they rebelled. 
you know, he's giving, he continues to give them these blessings. Um, you know, and verse 20 goes on and, and, and tells us that, uh, you know, he gives them the food and water they need to stay alive. Um, so it goes on and, and uh, I, don't know, I didn't read verse 21 before, but let's look at verse 21. Indeed, 40 years thou didst provide for them in the wilderness and they were not in want. Their clothes did not wear out, nor did their feet swell. So this went on for 40 years. God continued to provide what they needed. Um, the one thing he withheld was the promised land because they had rejected that. And so he withheld that from them um, because they refused to enter. And I started thinking about Talk about a meaningless existence for 40 years. What are you doing? Well, I'm just sitting here waiting to die. <laughs> when, when me and all my buddies die off, then God's going to start moving again. You know, he's just waiting for that generation to die off. All right, but no, it said, so um, a, a few week journey turned into 40 years. You it know. did. So, yeah, they were, they were ready to go in. God was ready to take them in. Um, but they did not believe that he could do that. They rejected him. They rejected his protection and his promise. And that just ended basically their service. You know, I, I kind of think of a, you know, having a, a job in a factory where you're, you know, there's a machine folding boxes and you just sit and watch and make sure that the boxes come out okay and you stop the line if they don't. You spend 40 years just watching boxes, you know. And then you retire and go home and sit and watch TV until you die, you know. <laughs> it's like a, <laughs> talk about a totally empty life. And that's kind of what they had here. Uh, and it's because it's, it's of their interesting, disobedience. Though, because yeah. even, you know, even in that, that uh, punishment of the empty life, they're still provided. Oh, yes. No. Um, Absolutely. And, and obviously the next generation needs that provision. Yeah, let's, let's go back to Numbers chapter 14 again. We'll visit Numbers a few times here as we go over this history. I wonder about the, the manna table conversations with the next generation. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we really believe it. Yeah. yeah. Why are we just sitting here, Dad? Well, <laughs> it's because we refuse to do what God commanded us. Don't you make the same mistake. Okay, Numbers chapter 14. Would someone like to read verses 31 through 34? 31 through 34. Your children, however, whom you said would become a prey... I will bring them in, and they will know the land which you have rejected. But as for you, your corpses will fall in this wilderness. Your sons shall be shepherds for forty years in the wilderness, and they will suffer for your unfaithfulness until your corpses lie in the wilderness. According to the number of days which you spied out the land, forty days, for every day you shall bear your guilt a year, even forty years and you will know my opposition. Okay. 
How's that for a future? Your corpse shall fall in the wilderness. And your children are going to suffer because of your disobedience. Um, children had to wait for the blessing. But on the other hand, God provided all their needs for these 40 years. Um, you know, it says they're... I think they got, they got tired of it, yeah. They still complained. Um, Just clothes not wearing out and you know, yeah. ankles not swelling. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's really considering that they're I, just wandering around. I, I, I have some old blue jeans I wear out gardening and stuff. They're not 40 years old, but they show significant signs of wear. <laughs> so this is... This is a miracle. Yeah. You know, this one was. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, really, there's Kevlar been, or something. I don't know. There's been so many miracles. I mean, mm-hmm. what happened in Egypt yeah. really was, you know, really God's build up to help them see how they could could do it, and they just didn't see it, just rejected it. Yep. Now this uh, phrase here actually where it says their clothes did not wear out nor did their feet swell. I think that's a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8. So let's turn to chapter 8 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 4. Your clothing did not wear out on you nor your foot swell. It was 40 years. Okay, so that's basically a quotation from that. And we'll see a lot of that as, as we've gone through Nehemiah. We'll see, we've seen a lot of quotations from Deuteronomy. You know, these people knew, the, knew their Bible. Um, also in Deuteronomy, let's look ahead at verse, or excuse me, chapter 29. It's interesting, Daryl, because after that verse that Mom read, it, it goes on about, but you are to know that in your heart the Lord your God was disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. Therefore, you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, the Lord's bringing you to a good land, um, bringing your children to a good land. Right. And we, do, we need discipline to learn and grow. Uh, Deuteronomy 29, verse 5. Someone likes to read that for us. I have led you for 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you. You have said, and your sandal has not worn out on your foot. Okay, so this adds that their shoes didn't wear out either. So you know, every day they'd go out to gather manna and for 40 years, in and out, in and out. <laughs> shoes never wore out, clothes never wore out. So that's God's provision. You know, this is one of those little miracles that people kind of overlook sometimes, but it's definitely a miracle that this happened. Okay, going on to uh, verse 22 back in Nehemiah 9. It says, Thou didst also give them kingdoms and peoples, and thou didst allot them to them as a boundary. And they took possession of the land of Sihon, the king of Heshbon, and the land of Og, the king of Bashan. So this introduces the actual conquest of the land under Joshua's leadership. But it does not mention Joshua. 
because it was God who gave them the land. Yes, Joshua was in a position of leadership, but he did not, he's not the one that gave them the land. It was God. So God gives them victory over many different peoples, many different kingdoms. And then there's a phrase that I think is translated differently in every version we've got. I have a New American Standard, and it says, Thou didst allot them to them as a boundary. NIV says, Allot them the remotest frontiers. English Standard Version, Allot to them every corner. New King James, Divided them into districts. Now, when, when we read and study Scripture, the first thing is, what does it say? We establish that, and then we talk about, well, what does it mean? Well, here, we don't know what it says. You know, it's a very difficult, obscure Hebrew, so it's kind of hard to go to the second step of, well, what, well, what does it mean then? If we don't know what it says, we can't go to step two, which does not stop the commentaries from trying. <laughs> but uh, nonetheless, in, in general, it, it talks about giving them the, you know, how much of the area of the land they were given in a real general sense. But uh, that's kind of a guess again. However, it is very specific in the next couple of verses when it talks about uh, Sion and Og, that they were defeated. So looking at a little bit of history and geography again, these two kingdoms were on the east side of the Jordan River, in the east side of the Dead Sea. You know, the bulk of the Promised Land was on the west. And the Jews had come up from the south, and the first kingdom they had come to that's, that's actually quite a way south of the Dead Sea is uh, the land of Edom, which is Esau's descendants. So Esau was Jacob's brother. So these were relatives. God says, go around them. Uh, the next kingdom to the north of that was Moab, and north of that was Ammon. Moab and Ammon are the descendants of Lot's two sons. So again, Lot was Abraham's nephew, but was actually almost like an adopted son to him. So again, we've got children of Abraham here, and God tells them to go around uh, these people groups. So you get up to uh, the kingdom of, the, of Sihon. It says he was in the city of Heshbon, this region is called Gilead. doesn't mention it here, but you know, we're familiar with the balm of Gilead. So Gilead was on the east side of the Jordan River. It started about halfway up the Dead Sea and went north up toward the Sea of Galilee. Back when we were studying the book of Mark, this was part of um, King Herod's territory, and it was called Perea. And that's where, when John the Baptist was taken prisoner, he was in uh, Herod's summer palace, I guess you call it, in this region. So Herod was ruler over Perea, which is also Gilead, which is the area we're talking about here, uh, Sihon's kingdom. And um, later you'll... In history, you'll go and talk about the Transjordan tribes. 
most of the tribes were given land in, in the block of Israel, but there were three tribes or two and a half tribes that got land on the east side. So this land of Sihon was given, basically allotted to Reuben and Gad. So that's what we're talking about here. This is land that was allotted to Reuben and Gad, to those tribes. And then we also have Og, who's king of the region of Bashan. So this is north of Gilead. So it starts near the southern end of the uh, Sea of Galilee, and it goes north all the way to Damascus. And it was later allotted to the half-tribe of Manasseh. So that's this region that they conquer here is remains part of the, uh, Israel. Um, and this is something that you'll see as you read through the Old Testament. You'll see these two names mentioned fairly often because this is a significant event in, in Israel's history. So let's go back and, and look at Deuteronomy chapter 2. So Deuteronomy is the, the second giving of the law, but it also includes the history up until they crossed the Jordan. So it includes the history of these, this conquering. Um, Deuteronomy chapter 2, would someone like to read verses 30 through 34? But Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land, for the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand as he is today. The Lord said to me, See, I have begun to deliver Sihon and his land over to you. Begin to occupy that you may possess his land. Then Sihon with all his people came out to meet us in battle at Jahaz. The Lord your God delivered him over to us and we defeated him with his sons and all his people. So we captured all his cities at that time and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivor. Okay. So the beginning of this sounds a little bit like Pharaoh. You know, God hardened his heart in order that he might be destroyed. He came out to fight against the Jews, and God delivered uh, this nation over to the Jews. And we can see that, you know, they are... In some ways, I think in some places they're called Canaanites, other places Amorites. So this is where it's a little bit confusing because you have the Amorites right next to the Ammonites. <laughs> the Ammonites are descendants of Abraham. The Amorites are a very pagan, perverted civilization, and God wipes them out. So we see that here, that they were wiped out completely. Is a complete cleansing of the land, and that's why they take men, women, and children, because that civilization was so perverted. Okay, then going to Deuteronomy chapter 3, would someone like to read verses 1 through 3 and then verse 6 for us? Turned and went up to the road to Bashan, Bashan, and Og, king of Bashan, with all his people, came out to meet us in the battle of Israel. But the Lord said to me, Do not fear him, for I have delivered him and all his people and his land into your hand, and you shall do to him just as you did to 
Okay, do three also, and then verse six. For the Lord our God delivered Og also, king of Bashan, with all his people into our hand, and we smote them until there's no survivor left. We utterly destroyed them, as we did to Sihon, the king of Bashan, utterly destroying the men, women, and children of every city. Okay, so again, you know, God brings Og out, and it doesn't say he hardened his heart, but you know, the, again, the, the intent was to totally destroy this civilization, this culture. And so God brought them out, and the, and the Jews defeated them. God gave them into their hand, and, uh, and they wiped them out. Now, Og is a little different character than a lot of others in the Bible. So we go ahead, and would someone like to read verse 11 for us? We're still in Deuteronomy 3. Something like we verse 11. For only Og, king of Bashan, was left of the remnant of the Raphim. Behold, his bedstead was an iron bedstead. It is in Rabbah of the sons of Ammon. Its length was nine cubits and its width four cubits by ordinary cubit. Okay, do you know what the Raphim are? It's a race of giants, right. So, depending on your interpretation of Genesis 6 as to you know, who the sons of God were, um, this may mean it wasn't just their culture that was perverted. It may have been their DNA. Because you have a family of giants. Where did the giantism come from? Was it uh, demonic? in which case God wanted it wiped out. And that's one of the things I think, you know, as you go through and you look at this, you think, you know, we talk about war crimes in Ukraine. You know, coming into a town and destroying men, women, and children is a war crime. But God tells his people to do that. He must have had a good reason for it. And so this may be one of the reasons is uh, the, the absolute per- Perversion, not only of their culture, but of their DNA, and they had to be wiped out. Um, this bed is interesting. When you look at archaeology, this is the Bronze Age. This bed was iron. And you'll see throughout you know, the Pentateuch, it mentions iron being used. So I think the archaeologists don't give these people enough credit for their... Uh, metallurgical skills um, so that we have an iron bed um, nine cubits by four cubits might not make a good picture but if you could imagine taking two king size beds and putting them end to end that's the size of his bed now it doesn't say he was a giant specifically but he says he was a Rephaim was a family of giants he has a bed that's huge. So um, I think you can pretty well conclude that he was a giant here. Um, so these two kingdoms uh, were conquered. They're on the east side of the Jordan. And so this is before they cross over into the promised land at Jericho. Okay, so this is a good place to take a break. Um, 
because verse 23 kind of takes a is a little bit of a summary verse and we'll look at that next week so Joe would you like to close your prayer for us dear Lord we do thank you for your word we thank you for the way it speaks to them in the past and to us today Lord just pray we'll be obedient to what you have for us it, you know people talk about um, visions and stuff from God but you speak to us daily right here in your word all we have to do is open up and look at it we thank you for that we pray we'll be in communication with you that we'll listen to what you have for us and as we look at Israel and the, and the things they seem to forget of, of your miracles that you did for them don't let that be our sin let us realize what you have done let us be gracious to what you have done let us remember what you have done that we can um, give back to you let us be good examples let us be um, ambassadors for you as we circle on this world as we are sojourners in this world let us as we travel through let us be ambassadors for you let us be um, bring glory to you in the things we do there's Lord they will continue to guide and direct us thank you for this hour pray for the next hour to come in your fresh name we pray amen yeah.